Billy Pumba. It's Timon. Actually, no, it's Bruce Lenoil. You are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast. Happy holidays. If this is your first time checking out the show, welcome. Every week, Dave and I talk all things Disney and pop culture with never before heard stories, behind the scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much, much more, or as we'd like to say, plus, plus, plus. I'm your co-host, Al John Goh, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, also pop culturist, and you can contact me, Al John, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, and author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at dave at skullrockpodcast.com. Al John Go, how are you today, my friend? <laughs> Good, Dave Bossert, the boss man. I'm doing well. Um, happy post Turkey Day. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? We certainly did. You know, it was uh, just a low key Thanksgiving. Kristen made, you know, an awesome uh, Thanksgiving dinner, and the kids had, you know, their first, uh, their really first, you know, Thanksgiving with the turkey and everything instead of baby food, which was you know, good, but, uh, you know, yeah, they love the, they love the, the dressing. They're, they're big fans of the bacon dressing. Excellent. <laughs> well, you know, anything that has bacon in it, I'm a fan of. Oh yeah. I was making bacon all day. I was a sous chef. So, uh, <laughs> it was, it went well, but how about you? Did you have a low key kind of good Thanksgiving? Yeah, it, it was a very quiet, you know, low key, uh, Thanksgiving. It was, it was just, uh, uh, just, Three of us, you know, uh, Nancy and Marley and I, and uh, that was it. And, you know, my mother and my sisters uh, who are on the East Coast, they had Thanksgiving on board a cruise ship out in Bermuda. Mm. So they had a, they had a really nice Thanksgiving. That's I, awesome. I would have liked, liked to have been in Bermuda. Well, but, you know, uh, it's uh, you know. The, the, the cruise, the cruise uh, thing is coming back, you know, they're coming back strong. So yeah, that's pretty you know, good. So, uh, but uh, other than that, uh, you know, it was just kind of a low key holiday weekend. I love it. I love it. Well, today, not only do we have some great headline news to talk about and what's going on in the world of entertainment and Disney, but we also have an awesome, awesome guest, somebody I kind of fanboyed out to because I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, why don't you tell us about our guest? Yeah, we've got Mark Simon, who is, he bills himself as the godfather of storyboarding. <laughs> and uh, he does a tremendous amount of storyboarding on live action shows like The Walking Dead. Uh -huh. uh, if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, we're going to be talking about that and a lot more other shows that he's worked on, including some stuff he's done for Disney. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Stranger Things, too. He's just, uh, yeah. he's just definitely into that. He loves the horror genre, which, uh, you know, another kindred spirit but he's worked with all the greats. So anyway, we'll talk to Mark. He's an amazing guy. And now I think we should just go ahead and launch into Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. All right, Dave. 
Um, before actually, before we even get into the news, I didn't even talk about the movies I caught up with this week. I yeah, caught, I, I mean, finally you know, I, the, I saw Ghostbusters. This is the time of year, right? Yeah, it is because I I, told, I had the entire week off, and uh, not only was I cozying up to uh, your book, Dave, and 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 just. Uh, Loving to going through and just reading all this stuff right now um, in your book. And I have to say, team, if you haven't checked out the Claude Coates book, you need to. You'll see it in the show notes. But uh, it's just an awesome book. I love leafing through it. And I love the book smell, you know. Thank you very much. The check is in the mail. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, check it out. We'll have it in there. But uh, yeah, so so awesome book. But also uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'll give a two thumbs up. With a bullet, I don't know. I'm, I'm mixing my Siskel and Ebert and my my Billboard references at the same time because it's hey, that good. You know, I, I, I thought it was a very enjoyable movie. Spoiler I, alert: I, are, for, we, are we are we are we going to do spoilers or no? No, no, I don't want to do okay, any spoilers. No spoilers. I, okay. I, I don't think we should spoil it for the audience. The audience has to go see it. Yes, you know. Yes. Uh, but I, I have to say though that I I really enjoyed it from the standpoint that um, it, it it gives another really nice chapter to a great franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know when you, you when you you weren't really sure where they could go with it. Um, you know, they took it to a good place. And I think Jason Reitman, Ivan Reitman, who directed the original movies, um, uh, produces this one. But his son, Jason Reitman, who's a terrific filmmaker, um, you know, he, I think, does a great job. And he has, a, you know, it's a great story they're telling. And, and I think it's really wonderfully put together. And I really enjoyed it. And there is a big you know, aha moment, like, wow, you know, there's a big wow moment uh, in, in the film uh, mm-hmm. where they do something because of the technology that, you know, they couldn't have done 20 years ago convincingly, but, yeah. but they did it so convincingly, Al John, you saw it mm-hmm. that you, you're just sort of like, wow, that is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, Ghostbusters is probably in my top five favorite movies of all time and if i if i was left on a desert island the original ghostbusters it's it's hard to beat just because of the comic everything you love about comedy and the supernatural and everything is all rolled into one with great great humor great beats and i thought that jason reitman did a great job beat for beat and not uh, giving the fans the fan service but also telling a compelling story that kind of propels the mythology forward Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. So I also uh, saw Malignant as well. Uh, We hadn't seen it. I think it was on HBO Max. But, you know, once again, I I can see why Stephen King said that he loved this horror movie and a big fan of that and the twist. Awesome. And then we also saw Eternals. As well, yeah. What do you yeah. think? Because it, I, it I liked it, but you know, look in in the Marvel universe of all these, you know, uh, superhero movies. You know, it's a good movie. It's a solid movie, but it's, it's solid. not. It's not great. You no. know, I mean, it's a solid movie. It's a good movie, and I enjoyed it. There is, I think, they tried to serve a lot of different masters here, um, but it was a little clunky in the way they told the story. The first and second acts are really the pacing's weird the jump mm-hmm. cuts between time um, because the Eternals, they are, you know, uh, f- beings that live multiple lives in a long time. And it, it was very clunky, but you know, so does the, the first two acts take away from the third act? I mean, the third act was really where it just kicked into gear. 
where most movies do, right? right <laughs> you know, right, but it seems yeah. to me like if you don't hold an audience, you know, within the first twenty minutes or fifteen minutes of a film, and Dave, you know this more than anyone being a filmmaker yeah. yourself, you kind yeah. of lose the audience. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I have to say, I, I think it's a visually stunning movie. I I really enjoyed it from a visual standpoint. And and again, I say it it was a it was a good movie. It wasn't it was great. Good. It, was, it was it was good. good. It, was it was good. entertaining. You yeah. know, and I, I I I'm glad I saw it on an IMAX screen. Yeah. Well, there you go. That that's a huge difference. And and I I was wanting more because I'm a big fan of Jack Kirby and the Kirby style of art and the comics that he did in the '60s. And when yeah. he put the Eternals together, it was basically the prodigal son of Jack Kirby. Left Marvel because he was disgruntled. Went to DC, and Marvel wanted to get him back, so he comes back. And this answers the question of the whole, you know, when someone that created a universe comes back to the universe they created, how things have changed. I mean, that that whole parallel of Jack Kirby's life and how he was treated at Marvel kind of plays out a little bit. But I was expecting more bold colors like Thor Ragnarok, which was a supremely just – you know, just very color tuned, uh, as you know, Dave, just, a, yeah. just a, a, anyway, it's a cool, cool movie, but anyway, it was, it was good, but now we're talking about streaming and, uh, and I don't know if you saw any more movies, uh, uh, or the holiday season yet, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I actually watched and we're going to get to this, but I watched, uh, the Beatles get back the Peter oh, okay. Jackson yes, documentary, yeah. but, but aside from that, uh, uh, there, there is some news here, though, with Disney, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, it, it came out uh, uh, last, well, I guess it was right before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. it came out that they're going to spend $33 billion, oh. that's with a B, $33 billion on content in 2022 for the streaming service. Yeah, well, can you say doubling down? On the yeah. streaming platform, I, well, you know, it, it's really an arms race now with the streaming services. That that's really what's going on here. This is this is an arms race with Netflix and uh, with with some of the other services out there, and they have to spend a tremendous amount of money to create new content to make it compelling for people to subscribe to their service. To put it in context, Dave, that's an $8 billion increase from last year. Yeah. Wow. Wowie. Wow. Wow. Uh, And the increase is driven by higher spend to support a DTC direct to consumer expansion and generally assumes no significant disruptions based on the pandemic. Um, And I would think that that's still a huge thing. I mean, there's been a lot of suspended productions that have gone on and you have to kind of keep the production moving forward and make sure the the staff and people are getting paid when they can resume. So that's just, that's tremendous. Yeah, no, I I think, I think it's amazing. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they spend that money. I mean, certainly a lot of the uh, Marvel uh, um, uh, TV shows uh, that have been already put up on, on Disney plus have had incredible production value. Well, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, it's, it's feature film quality uh, for the most part. Uh, when you look at something like WandaVision or um, uh, the, uh, uh, what was the other America, one? Uh, the Captain Man- America. Man- Mandalorian. Mandalorian and, and, and Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, then, and then you have the new one that just premiered this week, this past week on Disney plus Hawkeye, 
which right. was right. which was amazing. And once again, yeah. you know, you had a, a Vera Farmiga in it, and you had, uh, of course, Jeremy Renner. Did, now, did you watch the first episode? We, we, yeah, they dropped two episodes, in fact. And, oh, and Chris okay. and I saw them both, and they were great. And once again, studio film quality, uh, befitting of the Marvel Studios brand. So it, it it falls in line, and I love. I love the story they're telling with the reluctant Hawkeye, probably the most grounded of all of the Avengers, the original Avengers coming to grips with the fact that, you know, he wants to retire. He's, he's the kind of like the, the Danny Glover character in lethal weapon. You know, he wants yeah. to retire. He wants to retire. He keeps want, want, wanting to retire and whatever it is, he has to go in because he's a really good person. He want, he's trying to be a good and better person cleaning up, the problems of the world because uh, he he just can't let those things go. He can't sleep at night until he fixes it. So it was really yeah. good. And Haley Steinfeld is amazing. What an amazing, great actress. She yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and watch those this coming week. Well, there's a lot we can talk about because, you know, they have these curated playlists now on Disney plus for the holiday season, which happens to also uh, include our favorite home alone, home alone sequel. <laughs> <laughs> home alone again and home alone everything else uh, honestly which is i think the person who uh, created this home alone sequel with that i saw the trailer for this new home alone movie uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, i think he should be taken out to the woodshed <laughs> <laughs> hey but we, oh, we saw it we I saw mean, it just, by and the way. i'm only saying that based on the on the trailer because i just kind of feel like you know, that's like doing a sequel to Casablanca or something. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, wow. just, don't, just don't do it. You, wait, wait. You've got this. You know, again, we talked about this the last time. If you're going to do a sequel to Home Alone, get the original cast back. Macaulay Culkin as a parent with yes. a kid, yes. you know, yes. and, and and bring back Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci, you well, know, just getting well. out of prison. And, you know, I mean, that's yeah. the way to do that, you know, to to pay pay homage and honor that franchise for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. Home Sweet Home Alone was just very weird. Kristen and I did see it and it, it was just really uh. difficult to get past it. It was difficult. It was very difficult to get yeah, past it. Honestly, that that's like the you know that the uh, the that one Ghostbuster movie uh, that had you know great uh, female comedian actresses. Oh yeah, it was great. Uh, Except but, for you know it was it was just a you know it, it was a it was a wrong turn for the franchise. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like Ghostbusters twenty sixteen, and I love the cast. I love the cast. It's just when you are not given the proper story, it just kind of falls on its face. And that's that's a problem that I had is the story. I mean, you give me a great story, it's fine. It wasn't it wasn't the cast fault. And maybe it lies no, with the no, director, but not anyway, at all. We're not and the concept was the concept wasn't wrong. It, yeah. it was just terribly executed. Terribly executed. You know? Once yeah, again, it's sort of like go. take that, take those film cans out into the backyard and bury them in a hole. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Kristen and I did see it, so um, yeah, we'll. That's another hour and a half we can't get back. So anyway, <laughs> we have uh, we just mark your calendars because you know we do have the book of Boba Fett that's coming up um, end of December. The Beatles that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Diary of a Wimpy Kid is going to be launching December third. 
Welcome to Earth with Will Smith. Uh, part of the uh, National Geographic series is going to be the first week of December as well. And um, we did see, I think, a, a a brand new series called Foodtastic with Kiki Palmer, which is I love Kiki Palmer. She's a great actress. Um, Foodtastic is going to be there, and of course, wherever Disney food is, you know, my wife Kristen's going to be there. So uh, that is that looks to be a really really cool show. But they have those curated all time family classics. That include uh, Jingle All the Way, Nightmare Before Christmas, Frozen, Soul, Home Alone, of course, and Jingle All the Way, Christmas Again. All those are there on Disney Plus is just a little reminder. I guess you'll have to see Bad Santa at some other streaming service, right? Yeah, it's going to be on Hulu. <laughs> you'll, see, you'll see Bad Santa. Oh, hey, with, look. With Billy Bob Thorne, man. We can, we can do a whole series on just our favorite holiday movies. Okay, quick one before we get into the, the Beatles, since you brought it up. Favorite... Yeah holiday movie number one slot for Dave Bossert is? Oh, A Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Oh, amen. Amen yeah, to that. I, 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 I'm going to go to that one because I, I watch it every year and I, I just think it's a, it's just a fantastic film. Uh, it really is. It resonates, uh, you know, uh, emotionally for me and I just love it. You know, Same and, here. Uh, I'll watch it every year. Then again, I'll, I'll, I'll watch a wonderful life and then flip on bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton. Hey, say, hey, <laughs> we're the same, you know, we'll see, yeah. we, we'll see elf. <laughs> Uh, for sure. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Jimmy Stewart is the man. Every time we can see Jimmy Stewart, uh, it's a wonderful life is, is definitely one for the book. So it, that's a, a must see for me. Yeah. Um, speaking of must see, I think the Disney's, uh, Disney Plus's Beatles get back series, a limited series, three part series from Peter Jackson, um, is there. We saw some, I saw some of it. Um, of course you saw all of it. I, I watched the entire thing uh, and, and I, you know, first off, it, it's fantastic uh, on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. You know, f- first uh, for me is watching these four guys, these four lads from Liverpool, um, watching them and their creative process, you know, uh, individually and collectively on how they create a song. Yep. And you're, you're really watching the Let It Be album be created in front of you. And you're a fly on the wall for it. And I have to say, I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I also, you know, to see the individuals of the group, uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, and their interactions uh, some of the other folks that were involved, uh, including, uh, is it Glenn, Glenn James? Yep. Uh, Glenn James, the, the, uh, their sound engineer who was mixing, uh, and, uh, Mal Evans, their road manager, who, by the way, tragically died six years after that, uh, filming, uh, yeah, in Los Angeles. He was shot to death by Los Angeles PD. Oh, Wow. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I mean, I, I kind of looked that up, you know, because I was looking up some of the people that were in there. Um, uh, but I have to say, um, part one is really terrific, gets you into it. Part two is the longest part. It's almost, I think it's three hours. Yeah. Uh, and and I have to say, part two does get a little bit tedious mm-hmm. for me. Um, uh, that's my only criticism. 
Yeah. And then, of course, part three is the is the finale. I mean, it's the roof. It's the entire rooftop concert. Uh, yep. and, and footage from 10 cameras. And I love the fact that Peter Jackson went in during the during that rooftop concert and he's he's showing three different cameras, mm-hmm. you know, so he'll have, you know, a dominant camera on screen and have two smaller, you know, picture in picture boxes uh, showing what's going on on the street and, you know, what's happening here and there. I mean, honestly, I just thought it was fantastic. And I loved, loved the uh, the fact that we're a fly on the wall during the creation of an album during a month. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and you know, you, you can't beat it. There's one thing I will say. I, I saw a little thing where the, the uh, you know, Disney executives were trying to get him to to uh, cut out profanities. Yeah. And it's not like the it's not like the documentary is filled with profanities, but you know there's an f bomb dropped here, and there's a you know uh, sh said here and there in the course of uh, of these conversations that are going on and joking around and stuff like that. Um, I, I just you know I have to say uh, the other thing too. I mean the the amount of smoking that's going on. <laughs> It's unbelievable. It's everybody, every everybody's either puffing on a cigarette, lighting a cigarette, or or putting out a cigarette on a regular basis throughout this entire documentary. Yep. And they do they do put a disclaimer at the front. But oh, I have yeah. to say one thing about this, Al John. Yeah. Why did they put it on Disney Plus? Now I I clicked on the banner. You know, uh, when I went, so I'm not sure if it's parked under Fox or whatever, but. I kind of felt like when I watched this and as much as I loved it, because I highly recommend anybody watch this, it, it's fantastic. But why didn't they put it on Hulu? Because in, in my mind, it actually belongs on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And it still might be, you know, you know, at some point, I think they know that the Beatles brand and all the Beatles fans would likely drive subscriptions. I, I, I mean, I, that's obvious to me. I mean, you know, I, that's why they did it. But know. I kind of feel like with with the language and with the smoking, mm-hmm. uh, they put it on a platform that is supposed to be family friendly. Mm-hmm. Well, right? You know yes. what I mean? And, 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 you know, quite frankly, when I was watching it, I thought to myself, oh, somebody just said, oh, we have to put this on Disney Plus because we're going to drive new subscribers. Exactly right. I mean, ultimately, you know, and, ultimately, and they, ultimately they, they can set their own rules and break them as well. Yeah. No, you know? and, and I get it. But, you know, it, it's kind of hypocritical. Yeah, well. You know, in, in a sense, it, it, it is sort of hypocritical. But then somebody will sit there and go, well, you know, there's cigar smoking in the Pleasure Island sequence of of Pinocchio, you know. Uh, OK, yeah. But they also the characters are turning green and getting sick. Exactly. You know? It's like Dumbo, you know, drinking alcohol. You know, it's like yeah. it, it, it. this is the consequence. But then you have these people that are, you know that do it every day and it's almost could be, you know, a glamorization of, of that kind of lifestyle or, you know, life choice. But yeah, I mean, once again, a product of its time, but I I have to say that, you know, being in a band myself and many bands over years, 
it's interesting to see the parallels because you know what it's like to be in a band where you are rushed to do certain things. You're trying to create, you're trying to push this last thing out, especially if you're a band on its last legs, like the Beatles, they were on the verge of breaking up. You know, I think they, they knew that this was going to be their last hurrah and you could see that things are starting to fall apart and some people are tuning out of the process of the creative process and you could see it, but it is, you know, from you as a fan, Dave, uh, you know um, what it's like when people are being forced to collaborate and do things together and they, they know that they just need to just push this out. They just need to see the end of the tunnel light at the end of the tunnel and do it. And I think this is what happened with the Beatles here in this. Yeah. You know, the, the other interesting revelation for me because of this documentary was I really believe that the band started to come apart at the seams because it was because of Brian Epstein's death. Yeah. Uh, and even at one point in the documentary, uh, Paul McCartney makes reference to it and says, dad's no longer here. And I think Brian Epstein really was the glue that held the band together. And, and and they started to go off the rails after his death. And this album is recorded about a year or so after Brian Epstein's death. Yep. Yep. And you can tell, I think you can tell a difference. I mean, I think you can tell a difference. So yeah. it is what it is. Anyway, I look, I highly recommend it. Uh, the go. Beatles get back. Uh, it, it's an incredible documentary. It, it, it's amazing to really watch uh, and be a fly on the wall for the creative process of not only the Beatles, but the individual members of the Beatles. There you go. Once again. Yeah. And like I seen the very first section and I can't wait to uh, get into the rest, but it is a time investment. So keep that in mind when you're watching. Yeah, it, yeah absolutely. Sure. I mean, for me, the, the Thanksgiving holiday weekend was perfect time for me to consume all of that because I, I really had the time and it was a quiet weekend for us. Yep. And, and a shout out to, because Paul McCartney to this day um, still supports the brand that I work for. And of course the Beatles played all of our guitars. So very happy yeah. about that. Um, yeah. I, so, I love that John Lennon hollow body. Well, Hey, I've got one sitting next to me, <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> which uh, I need to get you your mini guitar soon. So I'll, I'll have to follow up with those guys. I'm, lo- I'm waiting for them. I, I know, mean, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When, when I get back to the office, I'll follow up with them. Let's so, get cracking. That's right. So uh, <laughs> speaking of, of uh, awesome groundbreaking films, uh, we have Becoming Cousteau, and I I watched National Geographic and Jacques Cousteau growing up, and I loved his his nature documentaries. And now Becoming Cousteau, the critically acclaimed film from National Geographic Documentary Films, is now streaming, uh, debuted this week exclusively on Disney+. And uh, this is pretty cool, Dave. I, I mean, uh, what a legendary figure when it comes to the uh, not only a great documentary, but also a... Uh, a person that has uh, uh, been probably at the forefront of nature and, uh, you know, protecting the ocean from day one. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm looking forward to see this, uh, seeing this. Uh, I've got it on my list of things to watch through the holiday season. Yeah, we used to go to the library. My dad would, uh, you know, check out his documentary films and, and show it to us on the old uh eight millimeter, which was kind of cool. Hey, listen, I grew up watching a lot of these uh, Cousteau specials that they would have on television and everything. Uh So it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of, uh, it's kind of a touchstone, you know, to my childhood. There you go. 
Um, going to back to streaming here for the Star Wars side of things. It looks like announced just shy of a year ago, Star Wars Rangers of the New Republic was poised uh, to put uh, the Mandalorian's Cara Dune at the center of a spinoff series, but it looks like that has been shelved along with uh, Rogue Squadron with uh, with Patty Jenkins at the helm. So a couple of projects being shelved or at least scrapped, um, according to comicbook.com. Uh, Dave, when it comes the, to all these projects that, that Disney had announced and everything, mm-hmm. um, are they announcing too much? Because if things change or morph and they decide that they're not going to go through with it, um, and they get the fan backlash. What, what, what are your thoughts on that uh, about revealing well, you, too much? You know, I, I always think it's always difficult for uh, a studio. I don't think they should be tipping their hand too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have been uh, getting ahead of themselves and making announcements on stuff uh, just because they're trying to drive subscriber uh, growth uh, on the streaming service. And that could be part of it. I don't know. Uh, but I would say that uh, a lot of these, um, uh, what you just mentioned with star wars uh the patty jenkins uh that's a scheduling thing on her part um you know she she's got other commitments and uh they weren't going to start shooting until a certain point so it was really kind of you know uh they were bumping up against schedules so so being able to uh put stuff aside I think is, is a good thing to do. You know, don't rush the content, Uh, you know, make it great and then put it out there. And, and again, as far as announcing stuff, you know, announce it at the appropriate time, you know, when you've got most of it in the can for crying out loud, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think what this happened, what happens is, you know, last year they had like these 20 announcements. It was just ridiculously long laundry list of stuff they announced and then they through the process you know they go through different directors and multiple directors and story writing and all this other stuff and the fans go gosh what's going on over there at lucasfilm and the same can be said at disney uh multiple times as well but you know that's part of the process in my understanding is that it goes through and, and morphs as we talked about on this show with your guests and um it just seems to me like the fans are like, well, something's really weird going on over at Lucasfilm. It's like, no, this is just part of the process, <laughs> but maybe is, they tip their hands too the, early. You know, part of the creative process is, is putting stuff up, tearing it down, putting it back up, tearing it down. I mean, you know, the making these films great so that they stand the test of time, uh, you know, is no small feat. Uh, it, it takes a while and there's a lot of twists and turns to the process. Uh, so, you know, uh, I think that people should just relax and I don't think that the studio should get ahead of themselves in, in uh, announcing things prematurely until they know for sure it's going to come on because you're just building up fans, uh, anticipation of something only to pull the rug out from underneath them. That's not a good thing. Yeah. That's what's happened to a lot over the course yeah. of time with star Wars. So. Um, in Saturn news, uh, legendary master of musical theater, Stephen Sondheim dies at 91 years old. Um, the legend collected nine Tony awards, a Pulitzer prize Oscar and eight Grammys during his incomparable career. And, uh, I I'm a big fan of his work. Sunday in the park with George is probably one of my favorite ones that he's done. But of course, Sweeney Todd, uh, into the woods, which was adapted over there by Disney as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just an amazing, prolific uh, musical theater guy, Dave. Absolutely. And you know what? He had an incredible career and he's left behind some uh, iconic uh, music. 
uh, and lyrics. And, you know, I just feel as though, uh, you know, he's done so much for musical theater that's going to live on into the future. And uh, all I can say is thank you, Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. And so we'll give you a couple of different things he's done. He put words to Bernstein's music for the original production of West Side Story, Mm -hmm. uh, collaborated with Julie Stein on Gypsy, uh, Send in the Clowns, uh, which was, I think, one of Barbara Streisand's greatest hits, um, Mm -hmm. I think was in there. And and Judy Collins. Judy Collins. Absolutely. Yeah. So so a lot of really good stuff there. Um, Just a great career. So once again, he will be missed. Stephen Sondheim dies at 91. Dave, it's now time for our guest in the green room. Absolutely. Let's get let's get him out of the green room and off of that uh, snack table. (laughs) Skull Rock Podcast interview time. Well, Al John, as we teased earlier in the show, we've got Mark Simon, the godfather of storyboarding. Uh, and I got to tell you, when I like, you know, when I introduce people, introduce our guests, uh, you know, I want to rattle off some things they've worked on. He's worked on over 4,000 productions. By the time I finish rattling off even a portion of those, the show would be over. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, welcome Mark Simon, the storyboard uh, the the godfather of storyboarding to the skull rock podcast mark welcome thanks dave and al john i appreciate it good to be with you get to tell a couple fun disney stories and, and you know something we're we're not just disney we're disney and pop culture so you kind of right. you know really cross a, a, a broad <laughs> spectrum of of genres here i oh, mean yeah. from the walking dead to disney films uh to television so what i'd love to ask you right out of the gate here is where did you go to school and how did you get into this how did you become the godfather of storyboarding <laughs> Well, I, I went to school at a place that almost no one has ever heard of called Stephen F. Austin State University in East Texas. And um, and I went there because my best friend went there and they had a great art department. I was never taught why you choose a school. So it was a good school for me, but, you know, didn't help me in my career whatsoever. So, uh, but I was, I, I was always a go-getter. Uh, I had my first business when I was 12. Uh, I had, I was running a multi-million dollar construction company when I was 14. And when I was 17, I started an advertising company. Before I was 20, I also published a magazine and I had been a, an editorial cartoonist and a strip cartoonist. So, I mean, I've, I've always pushed and pushed. So w- about a week after I graduated college, I thought, Hollywood sounds pretty cool. And I just moved. I'd never been there, had no contacts. I literally... I saw I, I, I owned a house in college, so I sold the house, packed up and I moved to L.A. So it's kind of like the Beverly Hillbilly, except I never struck gold or struck oil. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I find like, you know, when, when all of us have gone through that rite of passage of going to co- going away to college and all of that, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of living out of a suitcase. We don't have a lot of worldly possessions, so to speak. But uh, you, you just drove. Did you drive to uh, from Austin? Did you drive to? Uh, well, it's actually in Nacogdoches. So I'm much further east than Austin. Austin okay. UT. Um, I, I did drive, but unlike a lot of college kids, I owned a house, all my furniture, and three vehicles when, uh, by the time I graduated college. So, wow. Um, that, that, that's an accomplishment. It, it was kind of a different, a different life. And um, so I 
stored one vehicle. I towed the second one and I rented a big trailer and just towed it out to LA. And um, I rented an apartment out there for a while. And then I, I rented a house at, you know, once I was there and kind of figured out where I wanted to be and what I could afford. Because uh, obviously it's a lot more expensive than East Texas to live in L.A. Uh, absolutely. And, and when you got to Los Angeles, how, how'd you go about getting a job in the, in the business? And, and did you know you wanted to be doing storyboards? No, I didn't know anything about storyboarding at the time. Um, but because I, uh, I, I'd gotten a scholarship through theater uh, into college and I also majored in film. And because I also ran a construction company, I knew I could design and build sets and I could get jobs that way pretty quickly. Uh, so I, I, as soon as I got there, I, I, the first thing I did was I went over to the biggest set building house in town called Sururier and Associates. Um, I just walked in, uh, didn't call ahead. I just walked in and, and asked to speak to the owner. And because uh, I always, in fact, one of the things, one of my books is called Start at the Top. And, and, and that's what, actually one of the stories that's in it because I don't like talking to people who can tell me no. I only ever want to talk to the one person who can tell me yes. So I spoke to the owner and I showed him what I could do with design and building. And he hired me on the spot. I started the next day. That's awesome. That, and, that's such a great story. And I, I spent about three months getting in a lot of trouble there because I, I would finish something really fast and I'd go off and I'd ask a thousand questions of everyone there. I wanted to know everything about how you design and build fake. I knew how to build real, but how do you fake it? And they'd always yell, where's Mark? You know, they looked at my station and it was empty because I was over asking someone else questions. Why well, finish that? All right, do this. I'd do that and then go off and test for someone else. So I did that for about three or four months and, and thought, all right, I'm ready. I understand enough. Uh, you know, I wasn't a newcomer to building. I just needed to know the differences. So I was reading in the trades that a movie called Beyond Infinity was looking for a construction coordinator. And when I went down, I, I realized it was actually at Roger Corman's studio. And if you guys know who Roger Corman is, you know, a, a lot of people, a, a lot of people got their start there. I mean, Ron Howard, you know, directed his first feature with uh, Roger Corman. Yeah, and Jim Cameron had directed there. He directed Piranha 2 just a year and a half before I got there. Because this is the mid 80s when I went over there. Yeah. And um, so I got hired as construction coordinator. Then I got the script and saw that it was called Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. <laughs> and within two weeks, I was made the art director on the movie. Wow. So I just, I, I literally went from movie to movie as art director and production designer, uh, and then did music videos and commercials and things like that. And it was great. I was designing, I was doubling my fee every six months. And, um, but I wasn't drawing. I was designing, but I wasn't drawing. And mm -hmm. I kept seeing storyboards come across my desk. And I thought, well, I want to give this a shot. So first thing I did was I uh, found the, the biggest storyboarding agency in the world called Storyboards, Inc. They were down in Venice. And I drove down there, just walked in. You know, it's a common theme in my life. I just walk in and introduced myself to one of the agents, told him I wanted to do storyboarding. He looked at my stuff and said it was terrible, that everything was wrong. And I thought, all right. Or I told him, okay, well, do you have any samples? You know, what can you show me? Do it right. So he gave me a couple samples, gave me a couple tips, said, look, if you, if, if you make some good progress, feel free to come back. It's something we all say. I say it all the time, Yeah. but no one ever comes back. I've had like three artists over the last 30 years ever come back to show me new stuff. And I hired all three of them. Um, but a week later I showed up with new stuff and he said, Nope, still not good. He gave me some more samples. I showed up a week later. 
goes, that's better, but do this. I showed up a week later and I just, every week, every Friday, I showed up until he finally said, all right, you want to do a Honda commercial and gave me a commercial right there. So that started my storyboarding. And then I, I was designing sets at HBO at the time uh, for a series with uh, uh, OJ Simpson had a series called first and 10. It was a TNA series on HBO. And uh, I went to the executive producer and gave him these new samples I'd made. And said, look, you're paying for me anyway. If you need storyboards, call me. And he did a week and a half later, he called me and uh, gave me a whole sequence to do uh, for an episode. Asked, he said, this is supposed to be funny and scary. It's not. Can you, can you fix it? I said, yes, had no idea how just figured it out. And it was a success. But then the earthquake hit Frisco and uh, I had just gotten engaged. Uh, my wife, I worked with at HBO. Um, so she said, we have to leave because she freaked. So I said, well, I don't want to go to New York and Chicago's too cold. Orlando's up and coming. This is in 89. So we just moved again, no contacts. I had never been in Orlando, but we knew Universal was in Disney. were opening up studios there. Mm -hmm. So uh, we moved and very quickly, we both got jobs at Nickelodeon. I became the second designer when Nickelodeon opened up their studios. My wife became one of the top producers. And I was doing, I was designing half of the shows at Nickelodeon. And I storyboarded all the live action things for all the shows while I was there. And then Spielberg came into town with Sequest, if you remember that kind of yeah, Star Trek yeah. Underwater. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And... Um, was Sequest, uh, uh, was that a remake? There, wasn't no, there a Sequest? No. Uh, or what am I thinking of? Oh, yeah, well, uh, year, was Years a, of decades ago. Well, there was a really bad animated series on Adult Swim that um, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it was it was something similar, but I think it came out after yeah. Sequest did. Yeah. Okay. It was an original concept by Bob Ballard, this uh, underwater uh, scientist, and Spielberg created... So the second season they moved from LA to Orlando, uh, I asked a friend of mine to introduce me to somebody, anybody on the crew. And she did, we walked around and within 15 minutes, I had my dream job uh, doing storyboards for Spielberg. Wow. And, um, and that was it. And that's when I went full-time. That, yeah. that gig took me full-time. So let, let me ask you this question, because I think this would be of interest to the audience. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, would think of storyboarding for animated, you know, feature films and mm -hmm. cartoon shows uh, that are on Saturday morning or whatever. Um, but uh, uh, I don't think they'd realize that storyboarding is now used in virtually everything. I mean, obviously commercials and uh, and animated shows, but uh, TV shows, uh, feature films, just about everybody tries to storyboard out concepts, don't you? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, but on, on most TV productions, live action TV productions and movies, we don't storyboard everything. We storyboard right. stunts and special effects and fancy camera moves. Yeah. You know, the things that there's no way to budget or schedule without knowing the director's vision. Right. So the, looking at the script, those are the things that we hit first, and especially on TV, where we have a very tight schedule on everything that needs to happen to prep for shooting for the next episode. You know? Right. I mean, like on yeah. our, our television show, are they shooting that like in a week, basically? Well, it, it very, it's generally somewhere between eight and 12 days of shooting, mm -hmm. um, not calendar days, but actual shooting days. 
And so it, let's say like on Fear the Walking Dead, we shoot for 10 days. That means that there's 10 days of prep because you rotate directors. Every episode is a different director, mm-hmm. but you have two sets of first ADs and two sets of cameramen or uh, of uh, directors of photography. So one is prepping while the other shooting and then they switch. So the continuity comes with your director of photography, not the director. Mm-hmm. And okay. so in that 10 days, they're still working on the script. So they don't have a script for the first few days. They just have an outline or a rough idea of the script for the director. So it's not till day four or five that the director knows what they want to storyboard with me. So then I've got day five or six through the end to actually then storyboard all the sequences that they need to do. And some of these shows, there's a huge amount to storyboard because of the giant, you know, Every kill, every major kill, not not just a stab in the head, but every major kill of walkers, the hordes, things that are blowing up, car chases. I mean, I even storyboard Dynasty, which you would think, why? But every once in a while, there's either uh, dream uh, dream sequences or big stunts that they yeah. need to really plan out. And uh, The Walking Dead, they're filming that up in, in, in Georgia, right? Up uh, in Atlanta? Well, I actually storyboard on all three Walking Dead shows, and, and there's a fourth one coming that I'm also booked on. So I can't wait. The main Walking Dead <laughs> shoots here in Atlanta. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead has been in Austin forever, and they're moving to Savannah for season eight. Wow. They just announced that last week. And uh, uh, Walking Dead World Beyond shoots in Virginia. Wow. All yeah. on the East Coast. Well, they'll eventually all be on the East Coast. Yeah. 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 Wow. That that's then, absolutely amazing. And then there's a movie too, Mark. You're involved in the movie? Well, the three movies are being shot in England because um uh, the guy who plays Rick mm-hmm. is from England and that's why he left in season 9 because right. he hadn't seen his fan, his kids grow up. So they're shooting there so that he would agree to do it. It's amazing. Hey, I, mean, I, yeah. I I'm just curious. Uh, uh you said three Walking Dead movies, so are they filming all three at the same time? Is that how it's I, I don't know the schedule because I'm not yeah. part of those productions. Okay. Got it. Wow. That, that's cool. That's, that's something else. What uh, you know, in your mind, what what are the big challenges uh of breaking into the industry today? Well, today in particular, the, the biggest issue is you can't do what I've always done, which is just walk into an office because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, you can't get in. Uh, and a lot of these big shows that I'm on, you, can, you can't even bring guests in, even before COVID. You know, it's so secretive. I mean, there's the amount of passwords I have to go through to, just to download every script is unbelievable. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not the case on most things that I work on, but you know, when I'm working on Stranger Things or any of The Walking Dead or, you know, Black Lightning or um, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, Dexter, you know, the new, I storyboard all the new Dexter that's out now. Um, you know, those things are highly secretive. So it's hard to meet people on those productions because you can't get near them. And there are most people, if they don't have to go into work, are working virtually. So there's almost no way to meet people face to face. So that's a very that's a much harder thing for people to get into now. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still do it, but it's it's a different type of follow up. Going to industry events and meeting as many people as possible, and you know, building a good online presence and getting as many people who hire as possible to look at your work. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, since you've been in the business now for some 30 years, almost 30 years, uh, uh, you've got your own company. How many, how many, uh, storyboard artists do you work with and are they all working virtually? They do all work virtually. I've got four guys today that are working uh, on different projects for me. Um, and I've got a bunch of other freelancers and I've got an assistant in the Philippines that works full time for me. Uh, and I've got an office administrator as well. Uh, I'm, we do a lot. I mean, I build out over 12 days of work just last week yeah. you know, for me personally, because I have people who assist me, you know, I'll take the meetings, yeah. I have other people clean up often. So, um, it's, I, I go through a, a lot of work, so I need a lot of support. And uh, is, it, is it constant year-round, or do you find it seasonal? It used to be kind of seasonal until cable got really, really big. And then it's, it went year-round. And then after the COVID shutdown, you know, everyone was out of work for like five months. There was no live-action production. Animation kept going, and I had animation gigs going, luckily. Sure. But once production started back up, it's been the busiest I've ever been because there's such a backlog of production that they needed to get done. Normally I, that I, when I had shows going back to back, now they're all overlapping. So I'm literally working early days on one project, nights on another through the weekends, other people cleaning up for me. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of hard to keep up with sometimes, but it's a great problem to have. And, and I imagine also with the streaming services that have come online and the amount of productions that they are uh, funding, uh, you know, I, I I heard a number uh, that like just Netflix had 350 productions going, uh, uh, you know, a year or so ago. So um, yeah, they have over, they've got six or 700 episodes a year or something like that, that they have coming out. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfathomable how much there is. Yeah. And uh, what what uh, made you uh, uh, sit down and write a book, uh, Storyboards, Motion and Art, which uh, you put out? And you also have a series of books on facial expressions. Uh, I do. With, uh, with a lot of Disney artists in it. Yeah. So which the, the first one was Storyboards, Motion uh, in Art? Well, I've actually I've written 13 books now. And okay. the, my first one was about art direction. That was with drama book publishers. Um, actually, my first two, because I did a workbook with it. And uh, I don't remember what came directly after that, but uh, the the storyboards motion art is now in its third edition. I, I kept rewriting it, and now it's everything I could think of is in it. Um, I like uh, I like teaching. Is I like helping other people learn. You know, I made a lot of mistakes coming up. You know, like sure. most of us do. Yeah. And you don't have to if there's good information. And there were no good books on storyboarding when I wrote mine. There's a few out there now. I might prove that you could you could you know have enough sales, but mine was the first big one. I mean, before that, there was like this little mini pamphlet kind of book about storyboarding, uh, and there was a couple mentions of storyboards in some of the classic Disney books. You know, The Art of Disney, the, the, those few books that all of us bought growing up who were artists. Sure. Um, But there wasn't a lot about storyboarding there. And my books cover more than the art of it. It's the business of it, working with directors, samples, exercises. I mean, it literally covers every aspect of the industry. And and why why did you decide to do this facial expression series? What was the need there? (laughs) Well, I didn't mean to actually have that published. Um, That that was, this is before Google. And 
all artists have a mirror in front of them and we draw ourselves and we get tired of looking at the same face, but you can only see your face straight on or at a slight angle when you're drawing. And we all want other faces. So I started cataloging photos of a lot of different people with their heads in every angle, up, down, uh, people uh, of all nationalities, all weights, all ages. And I was cataloging it for me and all of my artists. And as I was working on that, I thought, you know, we're not the only ones who need this. So I took it to a couple publishers and um, the publisher I was already with, Focal Press, and I also took it out to Watson Guptill and a couple others. And they all wanted it. So the publisher started a bidding war. And the one that gave me the big, biggest marketing campaign, uh, I sold it to them. And that became a series, a series of books that are my evergreen books. They just, they just keep selling because all artists need it. And, and, and it sort of reminds me of the MyBridge books uh, that were done it back is. That, at the that turn was of the kind century. Of an inspiration. Yeah, was looking at the uh, Edvard uh, Muybridge books. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that that's fantastic. And and, and as far as the uh, the storyboard motion and uh, art, uh, you are imparting your experiences and techniques that you've developed over, uh, over your career. Yeah. Um, do you have plans to expand that book or do an, uh, a, you know, fourth edition with more information or do you feel like you've topped out on the third edition? Well, I've expanded it quite a bit, but not in book form. I decided to do uh, uh, LinkedIn learning. Oh yeah. Okay. So I've got five, I think storyboard courses on LinkedIn learning, both on the, uh, the essentials of storyboarding, you know, software agnostic, as well as a number of courses on using Storyboard Pro, which is far and away the best storyboarding software. You know, uh, with, with the with this pandemic and everybody going online, you know, uh, I'm just curious if, if you feel as though that uh, up and coming artists that are breaking into the business can actually learn more taking these types of online courses, whether it's uh, LinkedIn learning or, you know, some of the animation academies that have popped up, you know, uh, I don't know if you know, Aaron blaze. He, he's, he's a got, good friend of mine. Yeah. yeah. Aaron's got his online animation Academy and there's art teacher. Uh, 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 creature art teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so uh, do you, do you feel like uh, uh, that's becoming more competitive for people going to art school? Well, uh, I don't think people should go to art school. I think it's a waste of time and money. Okay. Uh, there's nothing from arts unless you've gotten an unbelievable professor that can mentor you. Yeah. There's, you know, you don't really learn a whole lot there. And, and you can actually learn more in a week on LinkedIn learning than you're going to do in a couple of years at an art school. And it's going to cost you a lot less. Yeah. I'm, just, um, I'm, I'm curious if you've seen that in portfolios coming across your desk, because I was seeing it in portfolios that I've looked at over the years where, you know, so many schools have added animation programs, but they're, they're just taking bodies in to get their, to, to get the tuition. And some of these people yeah. really shouldn't be in those programs because they don't have the innate talent uh, or they they haven't developed their talent to, to, to really make it worthwhile. Well, and there, there's a, that I absolutely agree. And there's another thing is that those of us who hire a lot of people know that recent college graduates are the biggest pain in the asses that you're going to work with because <laughs> they think they're the God's gift to everything and they know everything and they don't know crap. Right. So, uh, you know, so you got to break them down before they can start actually learning. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I, and look, and I've got a degree with two majors. So, I mean, you know, I went through the whole thing. 
And I tell people, if you want to be an artist, study business. And if you don't want to study business, don't go to school. Yeah. You can learn faster by working than going to school. And, and one of the things I tell them, you know, here, I've been a, well, I've been a professional artist over 45 years. But, uh, and I've been in, in the industry now 35 years. And, and, and now it's almost 6,000 productions. I've never once been asked if I have an education. And I've never put on my resume. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I have to agree with you on that because to me, it doesn't even matter if you have a high school diploma. All that matters is your talent. Yeah. That, it's that's what you really can do. It. Yeah. And, and that's what people have to understand. It's the portfolio. It's not where you went to school. It's, yeah. it's absolutely in your portfolio and they don't care about anything else. They don't care if you, you know, got a good SAT score. It makes no difference. It's no, just, no, no one's going to ask. Your GPA is absolutely irrelevant. Yeah, it's never mattered. I even taught at a couple of universities, and I've developed curriculums for schools all over the country. And even then, they didn't ask me what my GPA was. Now I had to have a degree. Yeah, that's you have to have a degree to teach. Yeah, but other than that, no, not, I know. not at I, all. And so, you know, it does seem like even before the pandemic that the technology is becoming, you know, has become so robust that you pretty much can take classes anywhere in the world online at, awesome. at any university. And you don't really need to actually physically go to a university campus and spend all that money. No. And, and, and even the online versions, I think, are too expensive. You know, there's besides LinkedIn Learning, there's others as well. Those are set up where you can learn what you need so quickly. I mean, yeah. look, and software is not that difficult to learn. CGs a, a little bit, but even then, go to Nomon for a couple of months and you're going to learn Maya. So, right. you know, it's not, you don't need a four-year degree. You know, I taught myself CG just from reading books back in the early days before, yeah. before Maya and all those came out. Uh, I taught it to myself on a system that I talked my way into having late night access into this guy's office. Um, he had it and didn't have anyone know how to use it. So he said, yeah, here's the key. You can come in. And I taught myself and, and he landed a big show and I ended up doing all the CG work on it because I was the only one who knew his system. Um, so you don't have to spend a lot of money, but you do have to make a concerted effort to actually learn. And that's what school, you don't, just because someone has a degree doesn't mean they learned, doesn't mean they're any good. It just means right. they got through it. Yeah, absolutely. And in any art field, I mean, it's all about constantly doing it and having a passion for it and improving because you're working, you're doing yeah. the actual art. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I, I think we've stressed that quite a bit here. You can't just say you want to be a storyboard artist. You have to actually do it and you have to do it a lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can tell me until you're blue in the face, but until you can show me samples, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, and what do you think, you know, because storyboarding in my mind is not just about drawing a static image uh, in a not rectangular shape. And you have to have a lot of knowledge of composition and cinematography and all of that. Right. Well, and it goes beyond that too, because we're telling um, uh, a, the sequential story, you know, that's why it's called sequential illustration, but you know, we have to understand directing and editing, screen direction. You have to understand how stunts and effects are done because you're illustrating 
and making production notes for production on how to follow things as you're being told what's going on. You have to understand lenses. You know, when a director says, we're going to shoot this with a long lens or put a 10 on this one, what the hell does that mean and how does it affect your drawing? You have to know that. You have to be able to sketch anything in perspective from any angle quickly. You have to know how to read blueprints. You have to understand props. You have to understand editing because I do animatics on literally everything that I do because Sorbo Pro allows me to do it in real time. I prefer it. Yeah. And I insist all my artists do it. If you can't do an animatic, you can't work for me. I mean, it's very simple. Can you and it's explain? Actually, it's more can you fun explain? too. Can you explain to the audience what an animatic is? An animatic is a video storyboard. So it's it's taking the the storyboards and putting them on a timeline. And uh, I like to add audio to it, but you don't have to. But if you've got a music bed or sound effects or a, a scratch voice track, it's it's like very very limited animation, like the really crappy '70s Marvel animation where sure. no one moved, but an, an eye blink here or there. It's basically kind of like that, except. Now we can do full camera moves and, and layer moves. You know, someone, you know, put one running pose and they slide across. You know, unlike animation, in animation, you have to show every keyframe in your storyboards. In live action, they want to see as few drawings as possible, but gets across the action. So there's a lot of shortcuts we can use. And when you're when you're doing a storyboard, do you do you actually meet uh, and now probably on Zoom? Do you, do you have a conversation with the director to understand what the director's looking for? Well, I'm not doing my job if I don't, and and that's actually where a lot of storyboard artists fail. Is they take they just want to get some notes and go away and do their version. Well, you failed instantly, which is one thing a lot of people don't realize because I work with a lot of direct top directors all the time. A lot of directors don't like working with storyboards because it's never their vision. I actually sketch out the storyboards with the director and I get approvals in real time. Mm -hmm. So the screen direction is exactly what they want. The action is exactly what they want. What the characters are wearing is exactly what they want. You know, every aspect, because I'm getting approval with them. I don't go away and do it. That's stupid. Right. All I'm going to do is redraw everything. I get approvals in two hours faster than most people can, can go through and make revisions in a week. Yeah. So, you know, I'm getting I mean, their vision and every director I work with said, God, why don't more people work this way? I'm actually going to use these. Yeah. Well, that's what I keep trying to teach other story artists. It's the director's vision, not your vision. Right. And, and, and by collaborating with the, with the director, you're giving him what he wants, not what you think he wants. Yeah. And the DP, you know, the yeah. director of photography, you know, like I said, on a lot of these, they're the ones who are carrying the, uh, the vision between episodes. So a lot of time it's both of them. And then on some big things, the stunt coordinator will also come in and we'll work yeah. through things or they'll send me uh, the, uh, the video that they, as they're working out stunts, Yeah, you know, they'll shoot something. And then the director and I will go through that and he'll tell me what he wants to adjust or change or what angle he wants to shoot it at. So there's a lot of things. And probably the biggest thing I miss, you know, because almost everything I do is virtual now, which is getting easier and easier to do. But uh, I miss walking sets and locations with the directors yeah. because then I'm taking reference pictures and, and the director and I can work, actually act out and work out all the actions together. Yeah. And then it's a lot quicker and easier to draw. But, you know, do you, do you I've, feel, I've got so many tricks I can get through it. Do, do you feel like it's going to get back uh, to some kind of normalcy where you can do that? It will, but I don't know when. I mean, even yeah. the local productions here, it's been almost two years. Well, been a year and eight months since I've been on a set. So, really? 
Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, and so uh, when when this pandemic is finally over, do you think that there'll be lasting changes because of the pandemic? In other yeah, words, because it's so fast and easy to work this way. Yeah. Uh, virtually. And the, the benefit for me is I'm able to handle multiple projects at once because yeah. I'm not in someone else's studio. So I can take a break and take a meeting on something else. And I just work later in the night so I can adjust my schedule accordingly so I can juggle multiple shows. Yeah. If I was on location, I wouldn't be able to do that as much. And how often did you go on location when you were working on some of these feature films? Uh, well, it kind of depends on, on the film or the show and if they were shooting locally. Um, you know, I've just been doing this so long that directors anywhere in the world that they're shooting, they want to work with me. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I was working virtually for the past 15 or more years. Mm-hmm. So I was used to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like on, on the, the original Walking Dead series, I was always down there for at least for the initial meetings and sometimes through the production meeting. Um, Black Lightning, I would just go in for meetings and I would finish everything up from home. Stranger Things, I was there because there were so many changes all the time. So I, was, I would sit on site. Uh, yeah, where time, where were they filming Stranger Things? Here in Atlanta. Yeah, okay. On the west side of town, yeah. So. Now, are you in Atlanta or you're in Orlando? I'm in Atlanta. You are in Atlanta. Yeah, I moved With, here almost four years ago. Yeah, yeah so uh, Atlanta is a huge production hub now. Oh, my God, it's gigantic. Right. I mean, you pretty much here than LA does. everybody has presence there. I mean, Disney's doing Marvel films there, right? Here and Australia. They, uh, they, yeah. they moved a, bit, a bunch of big units down there. But, yeah, because I'm right around the corner from what used to be called Pinewood Studios. Now it's uh-huh. called Thrillist. Yeah. And um, that's where they do locally most of the big Marvel series as well as the movies. Yeah. And Fox has a studio, a complex down there. Tyler Netflix Perry has oh. contracts with a few. I mean, there's, yeah. and they're great and they're new. Um, I mean, you know, I haven't gotten my start in LA, especially, you know, down at Corman studio or, mm-hmm. or some of the others in Hollywood where I was literally working in condemned buildings at times. <laughs> and I come here and everything's gorgeous and new and big. Oh, I love it. Well, you know something that that's nothing new. I mean, uh, the, the animators uh, at Warner brothers uh, decades ago uh, were uh, dubbed their, uh, their building termite terrace. Termite terrace. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sweatbox, yep. <laughs> so uh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, when, when you're working on uh, a, a series uh uh, are you exclusive to that series? Or I know you say you, your company is doing multiple projects, but you know, do, are you being contracted to, uh, we want you to work on the entire season of uh, walking dead or how, how does that work? Does, is it they episodic want me to, or when I get on, when I get on shows, they want me to work on every episode, but okay. they don't hire me for every day. So I got gotcha. you. know, I might work two or three days this week on Fear the Walking Dead, and four days on the new George Foreman movie, and you know, a few days on. I'm I'm doing Made for Love, which is an HBO Max series. I've also been doing Snowfall, which shoots in LA, but I storyboard Snowfall. Um, so I just take it all on, and I take the meetings, and if if I have other shows, and I have someone else do the clean it up for me. So yeah, and. Uh, what do you like working on best? I mean, that, that's always a question I, I, I like to throw out to people because some people like more short form stuff. Some people like long form. I mean, you know, do you like to mix it up? I like, I like, I really like long form because I love digging into the story. I mean, the story to me is as exciting as the art in storyboarding. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I absolutely love really digging in and, and, 
telling as great of a story as possible for the audience. Um, so usually it's my favorites are either what I'm currently working on or if I'm working on a show I'm a huge fan of, you know, like yeah. Stranger Things or Walking Dead are, are really fun. I, I, but I, you know, I love comedy and, you know, figuring out how to make something funny is the most difficult thing you'll ever do. Uh, but I also love drawing gore because why not? It's it, 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 it literally, I mean, I can say, well, I love science fiction. I love drawing, you know, I love it all. I just like, I get to draw, tell stories, work with great creative people, and then see my work on the big and small screen. There's not a whole lot in that, uh, in that sentence that doesn't rock. There you go. That, I, I mean, that's passion if I ever saw it, uh, which I th think is fantastic. Let, let me ask you about directors, uh, you know, because yeah. I'm i one that's worked with a ton of different directors over the decades. And uh, some of them are uh, real easy to work with and some of them aren't. Uh, you know, what What do you how do you deal with that? You know, I, it's. I've, I've actually not been having many problems with any director. You know, the, the biggest issue I have sometimes is if their minds are going a million miles an hour and they're jumping four and five steps ahead of me when I'm sketching. Yeah. I've just gotten to the point now where I just say, Hey, hold up. Give me a second. Let me catch yeah. up. And so I'll kind of dictate the speed and, and I have no problems telling people what, what I need when I need it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if you're doing it and not taking over their vision, they're cool with it. Yeah. Um, and like I said, some directors have, have an edge when it comes to storyboarding until they realize, oh, I'm capturing their vision. I'm not trying to put my, my take on it. So the directors I work with love working with me. And, and, yeah. and thus, I love working with them. It's just, it's a really good time. They're very personable, very creative. Every once in a while, I'll run into someone who got a gig that they shouldn't have gotten. And, uh, and then it, it I, I kind of look and, and uh, wink back and forth with the DP and the DP and I end up doing all the breakdowns. So the other, the director just kind of nods. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. So, you know, in times like that, we just kind of bypass them, but then I hear from the crew and those are the directors that are horrible to work with. So I kind of see it up front on what's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. you know, 99 times out of a hundred, I'm having a great time with them. Yeah. And I'm curious though, because there, there are directors out there where you really have to coax the information out of them. They're, yep. they're, they're kind of quiet. They're introverted, if you will. Uh, they're very thoughtful. They're in their heads. Uh, how, do, how do you deal with them? When they see their art, uh, their story, uh, their story coming to life, literally in front of their eyes. And I, you know, literally as I'm sketching, I hit play and they can see it play out they're not very quiet or shy anymore. They're like, Oh my God, that is so cool. So I mean, they, they're they come out of their shell. Like, they oh, they yeah. come out of their shell. Cause they see what they're getting. Yeah. I hear the same things all the time. Well, we don't need to shoot it now. It's already here. You know? And everyone thinks they're the only one who's ever said that to me. And I hear yeah. it every week, Yeah. but I love it. Cause it means I'm doing my job and I'm capturing their vision. Yeah. They're happy. I'm happy. Yeah. What do you, what do you think uh, the, just the, the storyboard process adds to uh, a show? Uh, does it save money? I mean, you, you know, it's I, funny I, you, I, you asked that very thing. I just gave a talk on stage 32 this past Saturday and the title of it was storyboard save productions, time and money. Yeah. I, I mean, I know the answer to the, to the question. I'm yeah, asking, you do. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but I, I want you to explain that to our sure. audience because what, 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 how does it save time? Well, I, 
I, I can give you the long and the short. I'll stick with the short answer. Let's say you're building a house. Since I used to build homes, I like this analogy. I can describe a house to you, but you have no idea what it would look like. In order to build a house, when you've got all these crews, there are 82 steps to building a house. I remember all this. You have to have blueprints. Well, when you have a script for, uh, for a show or a movie, well, that's just telling somebody something. There's no visuals. The storyboards are the visual blueprints. So everyone now has the director's vision to work towards. So there's no downtime. There's less communication. Uh, things can be properly budgeted and scheduled that there's no possible way you could be uh, efficient and, and scheduled properly without those visuals. Any one mistake because of miscommunication can cost 20 or $30,000 for an hour of downtime on a production, more than pays for what you're gonna be paying me or anyone else to storyboarding. So, and that's just one mistake, much less the hundreds of, of drawings that we do that help make the production more efficient. Sure. I mean, it, it helps out every every department, essentially, every department. Yep. Uh, in, in being able to plan and figure out what they're going to do as far as uh, set decoration, set construction, all of those kinds of things, you know, in order to achieve an angle or, you know, uh, get the shot, so to speak. Yeah, breakaway uh, and, walls, breakaway yeah. props. What, yeah. what, what does this need to do? You know, oh, we have to fly them, so we have to put a fly rig. So wardrobe yeah. has to be prepared for that. I mean, there's so many different things that go into it. And that's without the stunts and, and visual effects. Yeah. And, and when you're working on a production, when you don't have that information or the information isn't clear, you, you, it's like molasses, you slow things down, but the, but, but the, the budget is ballooning because you're paying for all these people to stand around because yep. something isn't done. Yeah. You know? you're, you're going into overtime or extra yeah. days, or you're not getting your certain shots or too much money has to go to this thing, so now you have to lose that effect. So everything is suffering. The people are suffering, the, uh, the budget and schedule is suffering, the producers are definitely suffering, the director isn't getting everything that they need. I mean, it, 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 it's just uh, an avalanche of problems if you're not fully prepared. And the more organized uh, you are with storyboards, which are kind of visual shot lists, uh, it's a shot list plus, then when something comes up on a, on a location or a set where they get inspiration, it's easy to make an adjustment when everything else is going smoothly. Right. But when everything is barely hanging on or it's not working and you try to make a change, it's just a catastrophe. In the it, it, it just adds to the chaos of it all. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, you know, I, I, I often uh, wonder about uh, um, uh, some of these productions, like let, let's just take Walking Dead for an example, mm -hmm. because you've worked on it so much. Uh, but I'm imagining the first season, is, everybody's trying to get their sea legs and figure it all out. But once once you've gotten through, you know, a half a dozen episodes, doesn't it become uh, sort of almost a well-oiled machine, if you will, uh, going forward into, you know, uh, season five, six, seven, I mean, you're pulling the same people back and everybody knows what they're doing and what they're there for, right? The, the actual shoot uh, definitely works better. But like I said, you get a different director every week or every episode. So 
that new director could throw a, a, a wrench in, in the in the gears right there. Yeah. But but on a on a series like Walking Dead, uh, yeah. would you, would you be rotating through a half a dozen directors that are taking episodes? Uh, yeah, and, some directors and, do more. Like uh, like Greg Nicotero directs a lot of episodes of The Walking Dead. And, yeah. Uh, Mikey Satrazemis does a number of episodes on Fear of the Walking Dead, and they're both also producers. And uh, half of the episodes are directed by women, half are directed by men. Um, and, is that and, by is that by design or yeah, I by mean, design? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah. and what 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 is the reasoning behind it? I, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got uh, to make the industry uh, equitable. I mean, it's okay. very simple, yeah. and that's really what it boils down to, right? Yeah, and yeah. and it's and I find everything is better for it. You know, yeah. we we've seen men's stories, but we haven't seen you know, the, the same stories told from the viewpoint of a woman or, right. or a person of color or, or someone who's trans. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be a gay story or a woman's story. It just means there's a different way of looking at it. And all of a sudden we're getting better, newer stories, yeah. a different take than what we, than what we've been seeing for so long. It doesn't mean men are bad at it. it just means we've seen a lot of it. Look, I haven't run into any group of people that aren't great at what they're doing. Um, yeah. But I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm finding is there's a lot more stories being told in ways I hadn't seen before. That to me is very exciting. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly fresh, especially with the amount yeah. of productions that are going on. Oh, yeah. You and know? that's why yeah. I can tell you that I've been a fan and my wife has been a fan of The Walking Dead ever since season one. And we've watched every single one. And and Mark, I've seen a lot of your animatics and storyboards as bonus features on every single one of those series. So, um, which yeah, I, I Talking Dead has been very good to me. Uh, yeah, I've been on the Talking Dead a number of times uh, yep. talking about those pieces that I've been working on. Oh, we'll we'll get to it. I'm sure. <laughs> I've got I've got some questions. <laughs> well, what, Mark, what 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 excites you at this point uh, uh, coming up? Like, you know, what, what what do you got on the horizon that that you're excited about? Uh, there's a new Walking Dead series that I'm excited about. It's an anthology series. I'm not giving you know, I'm not giving anything away. It's been announced. Okay. Um, so that so that's going to be really fun. Um, you know, as far what? as my personal things. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of directing, but I want to start getting into doing some hour long directing. So I'm, I'm talking to producers I know about trying to get into some of that. So what excites you about the walking dead? It's what do you like stories? About? Like, like, you know, what do you like about what, what, you know, what, dude, who doesn't like zombies? I get I, to draw I, zombies I, and exploding heads. Come listen, on. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I'm, with, I'm with you on that. I, I love zombies like the next person, but I'm just, I, I just want to uh, try and get a sense. And I want our audience to understand what's so exciting about working on the walking dead. Uh, various. Okay. I, I'll give you one example in particular. That was, it's just so fun. And this kind of stuff happens all the time. So I was working with, uh, with Nick Otero on one of the episodes of season, I think it was early in season 10, when the satellite crashes into the forest and the forest goes up in flames. And uh, so all the, uh, all the people from Hilltop go into the forest and, uh, and they've got some little water canisters, buckets and, and wheelbarrows, things like that. And he got called away to another meeting because he oversees like freaking everything. He's unbelievably busy. And he goes, all right, I got to run to this meeting, come up with two new ways to kill a walker with only the tools that they have with them before I get back, go. And I was like, yeah, 
So then I, I start sketching out all these different things. And then of course we got to, you know, he picked, you know, picked the two he liked the best and they, they shot him. Yeah. I got to figure out how to kill walkers. Yes. That is fun. That is cool. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Hey, uh, let me, I, I know the, the, the makeup aspect isn't, isn't your wheelhouse, no. but you, you have to have seen how they're doing some of that stuff because I've marveled at the fact that they, you know, they could have, you know, a hundred, you know, zombies in a field and, mm-hmm. and it just looks so cohesive and it's not, there's no corners cut visually that, that you can see. That you and, can and, see. There's yeah. a lot of corners cut. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but 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 can you give us a little insight into uh, you know how they do the makeup? Look, I'm I'm I am a student of filmmaking, so yeah. I watch everything that's behind the scenes. When I'm out on location, I go just like I did on my first job. I walk around, and ask a thousand questions. Mm. I go into the makeup trailer. Uh, Nick Otero's office has got all these great zombie heads. He, he just has shelves of heads uh, in his office <laughs> that I go and I study, I sketch, I photograph them. Um, and, and so, you know, on, on the walking dead, you know, when it's a big horde, it's CG, you know, these are digital characters that, that, right. that okay. fill it out. But, you know, we've, there's always the heroes, which take a long time to put the, the expensive makeup on. Yeah. And then there's masks for those in, in mid, uh, mid to background and then there's just people with really dirty faces and long hair that cover them. And they keep their head down in the background. So, oh, okay, yeah. that's very interesting. I, I figured there were there was uh, some tricks of the trade you were going to let oh, us yeah. in on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Al John, any questions for Mark? Well, well, of course. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, we haven't even touched the Disney stuff, but I can tell you that The Walking Dead is is great. Because a we get to see Mark's work on on the Talking Dead and the animatics and the behind the scenes and all that stuff. When you get a script that's so under lock and key, and you mm-hmm. sit down and you read it and you follow the story, clearly you love the series, all the series yeah. that have been put out, the spinoffs. Is there a point that you go on that that journey as a fan of the show and go? I can't believe they're doing that. Was there those moments? Every in, freaking episode. Every okay, you see, because every freaking episode. I, I am absolutely, <laughs> you know, a, a, as much of a fan as I am an employee on mm-hmm. these things, mm-hmm. and I can't wait till the episodes come out. Uh, and then, like, if you've ever been on on my website, yep. uh, I uh, or or my YouTube channel. I edit together my animatics to the final cut and you can see how close they are. So yeah. I've got a lot of those storyboard comparisons up on YouTube and on my website. I so it. it's, yep. uh, you know, it, I get a kick out of seeing how close it is. Like, in fact, an example of some that are really close. I just started posting um, the last Disney movie I did just came out this past month. It's called Under Wraps. And uh, it's a kind of a comedic mummy movie. And it's on it's on Disney Plus, right? And Disney Channel, yeah. And Disney it's Channel, both. okay. And uh, the, the director I've worked with, I think, on six movies now, and uh, Alex Zam is the director's name. And so, Alex, the the couple sequences in particular, I mean, is literally shot for shot. You know, I captured his vision. Of course, I'm sketching it with him, so uh, so I know I'm getting it. But they shoot it, and it's literally exact. So when I edit it together, it's like so cool to see. Yeah, that is awesome. And by the way, it did recently premiere on Disney Plus, so you can check that out. It's a uh, freaking great. Mark, Mark <laughs> you, you've done so much boarding on uh, on some of these series. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to have uh, had the uh, urge to say, "I want to direct one of these." 
I yeah. mean, okay, okay. how is that as far as being able to make that crossover to, to directing? It got a lot more difficult when uh, COVID hit mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they also changed how many directors they were hiring. Uh, because uh, a lot of times we do them in pods now where one, uh, one director will do two or three in a row um, because everyone had to be in lockdown. So they were mm-hmm. trying to limit how many faces would, uh, would be coming in. So that also changed how many opportunities there were. Mm-hmm. So, well, but I, like I said, I'm in talks with a couple of them uh, now. Good. So well, I'm, good. I'm, I'm not going to give up. That's one of my goals. Well, and that's yeah. great because, you know, Greg Nicotero, he's a busy guy. He's got shows. He's got creep show coming on. And I can see. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's a really good artist. Well, I, he is amazing. First of all, yeah. he's, uh, when I grow up, I want to be Greg Nicotero. Uh, also, by the way, uh, Dave, also a huge guitar guy and guitar geek. And uh, I did lobby to. Uh, He's a good musician, too. He yeah. played at our rap parties. Yeah. He probably played one of my guitars at the rap party. So there you go. <laughs> but um, but but having said that, yes, I was going to say Creep Show would be perfect. Yeah, which I also for, storyboarded. Which you storyboard. And it, by the yeah. way, amazing series. Like I said, I hate to fanboy out like this, but that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, I, I, you know, and so, yes, I will say that, um, the storyboards are great when you can see the side by side on your site, which by the way, we'll link in the show notes. Everybody can check out everything and all your books and everything, but they can see that side by side stuff. Was there a particular, um, uh, project of late of the stuff you're working on? And let's put walking dead on, on the side for a minute. Um, is there any other, uh, thing, um, that you're working on or you've worked on that is that stands out to you is just a super fun thing that you've worked on stranger things season four. I mean, it's, yeah. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an eighties kid. Yeah. Um, why well, I, I was actually an adult by the time I was in the eighties, but still, you know, I look back finally on the, on the eighties. So when I, you know, that was such a huge show and then to be able to work on it. And I just worked on two episodes of it. Uh, but, it was, I can't wait for the new season to come out because I only know a part myself of what's going on because everything else is on such lockdown. So I've only read the scripts I actually worked on. Um, but, you know, just it, it, the other thing about, about Stranger Things is that that's uh, cool points for my kids. I've got my, my, my boys are 22. I've got identical twins are 22. And they grew up with me working in film and TV, so none of it means shit to them, except Stranger <laughs> Things. Uh, and, and it was funny. It was another one. They had a bunch of their friends over, and uh, I guess they were on vacation up here. And I walk into the room, and they're watching the sci-fi movie, and they went, Dad, you've got to check this out. This movie it was called Doom, uh, um, Doom Armageddon. Yeah. And they said, you got to check this out, Dad. This is such a cool movie. I went, yeah, it's one of mine. I went, what? Went, yeah, I storyboarded all that. <laughs> Moments like that are what I live for. Awesome. You know, I'm no longer just, oh, God, Dad's drawing again. It's like, you worked on this that I like? <laughs> so uh, I love moments uh, what, like that. When is Stranger Things uh, season four dropping? They, well, I don't know any more than anyone else. I saw the latest trailer that came out last week, and it said early summer 2022. So yeah. that's all I know. They have to push okay. a lot. Um, I found something very interesting, very interesting in your bio. Um, you are a black belt. I'm a second degree black belt and two-time national champion in Taekwondo. Amazing yeah. for one. Uh, awesome. Uh, awesome accomplishment. Uh, I have you. to ask if that experience 
you've been able to kind of utilize in a lot of those storyboards that you've been doing um, when it comes to these kind of storyboarding, you know, stunts and different things like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, one gig that I landed was because of my martial arts background. And I was the head of story on Hong Kong Fui. Mm-hmm. Which oh, okay. We ended up only doing a small portion. They couldn't get the budget for the whole thing. Um, but you know, the director told me, he goes, you know, yeah, this is a funny, it's a funny movie with a lot of action. He said, but you know, martial arts. So of course you're the one that we need to, uh, to do this. But here's the, here's the really funny part about that. So when I was, when I was storyboarding uh, this one sequence that we, that we did for Warner Brothers, I, like I always do, I did my own scratch track of it and knowing, you know, I was a fan back in the seventies of the original series and Scatman Crothers did the voice and I knew it really well. So I did my take on Scatman Crothers, which I thought was really good. Right. So I was so proud of this animatic. And then they hired Eddie Murphy to do the voice (laughs) of Hong Kong Fooey. And I then heard his voice and I, I, I re-edited everything to his voice. Made me never want to open my mouth again. It was <laughs> so good and not Scatman at all. He had a completely different take. Yeah. But there was a difference of someone who's just screwing around versus someone who's really, really great at what he does. It was, I, I actually laughed at myself. It's like, oh, I thought I knew how to do this. No. <laughs> that is hilarious. Let me let me ask you this question because sure. you're a black belt. Have you ever had the uh, Have you ever had to use that in self defense? No. Um, I now and you know, I've been attacked, but it was before I, I studied martial arts. It's actually okay. one of the reasons I then got into it. Um, one of my books is actually a memoir uh, called Attacked, where my bullies actually followed me home and attacked my entire family in our front yard. Wow. Um, and then months of death threats and yeah. car attacks and everything you could imagine. Um, and I ended up becoming the, the first person in the country to hold parents responsible for the actions of their kids. And I had the parents thrown in jail and I won the court case. So wow. I set the precedent. Nationwide. Amazing. Wow. Amazing book. That is something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there needs to be, you know, so uh, people need to understand that every single piece of the puzzle is important in a child's development. Yeah. But here, here's something interesting since we're talking about all my work, those attacks on me and my family led me to what I do as a career. Wow. It was a, it it directly led me to it because I was, I was one of those um, insufferable uh, kids who were in all the honors classes in high school. And, you know, I hung out with all, uh, with all the nerds and in art but right. when, when I was getting attacked, because this went on for months, I couldn't concentrate and I ended up failing one of my advanced math classes. And I had never failed anything. I was a straight A student. So I ended up in the, my next semester having, in the spring semester, I had an extra class because I didn't have that math anymore. And I had already covered all the math I needed to graduate. So that was no big deal. So my art teacher said, look, the, the theater department needs help on doing posters and brochures, you're the only artist I know at the school who, and this teacher telling me this, who will actually finish anything. Why don't you go down there during your free period and help them out? So I did. I went down there and as I was drawing uh, things for them, I was watching them design and build the sets and they were doing a lot of things wrong. So I ended up then becoming the backstage manager uh, my first semester in theater 
because inadvertently I wasn't even taking the class, but I was running the sets because I knew how to do it. And, uh, and then that led me to doing um, kind of summer stock work, which then led me to getting a scholarship to this college in theater where I st ended up studying film and led me out to LA. So, I mean, it was, it was, it, all those attacks as bad as it was led me directly to what I love doing now. When opportunity knocks, I mean, that's really, that's really the case here. One thing leads on to another and you have to be able to, to have the courage to uh, uh, grab that opportunity when it presents itself. Right. Yeah. And look, and I love change. I love trying new things. You know, yeah. I'm not afraid, you know, I've moved multiple times, you know, halfway or all the way across the country, different states. If it's like, if I get the idea, it's like, I go, I just do it. And yeah. it's never not worked. It's fun. What's your, what's your view of uh, the industry going forward as far as uh, storyboard artists go? Uh, more work you, than ever for story artists. Um, yeah. you know, they need to be more digital. Some of the old guard who only wants to work on paper are, are not getting much work. Yeah. Uh, I won't hire someone who only works on paper because they can't deliver what my clients expect. Oh, yeah. And, and, so. and the tech, the technology is allowing you to do more work quicker, uh, by it, copying and pasting look, you know, uh, yeah. in the real time animatics, yeah. you know, I can provide more faster yeah. and, you know, and in the software that I love talking about the storyboard pro one click, I renumber the whole thing. And that only means something to people who've worked on paper or in Photoshop and a director says, move the scene over here. And then you have to renumber all your shots. Yeah. And that is just, horrible work yeah it's one click and it, it renumbers yeah. everything now you know same thing with exporting out to a pdf or a movie i don't have to jump out of out of photoshop then go into after effects and put it together and then edit everything in premiere oh there's a change i go back to the beginning and rescan stuff and cut it up no everything's in one software i make one change i hit play uh, so it's so much better. It's not even, it's not even close. Are you guys working on Cintiqs with stylus? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So that, that's the standard. And I have now. portable Cintiqs. So I've got the, uh, the mobile studio pro as well, which is a computer, ta a tablet computer, windows yeah. computer where you draw on the surface of it. So that's what sure. I take when I go out to location. That's awesome. Awesome. Al John. Oh no, I think uh, you just about nailed it, but I have to ask about Roger Corman. Because yeah. <laughs> we're such fans of, of Roger's work. Um, was there a particular uh, chewing gum MacGyver moment um, that, that you saw or witnessed uh, while working with Roger um, in his there, production there house? So One of the funny things that happened is, you know, you always have a fire marshal that comes through to, to check on, uh, on your sound stages when a new production is in. And, and it, it, we were at what, what was called the Lumberyard. Uh, which was down in uh, Roger Corman's studio down in Venice. It's literally a converted lumber yard. And it was only 11, uh, 11 foot high cap on the ceiling. And uh, the, uh, the fire marshal comes in, he walks around, he checks out my set and uh, everything seemed fine. And the set was completely covered. I don't know why he didn't notice this, but it, it was, it was all styrofoam, you know, <laughs> wood base, but it was all stonework. Yeah. And the way you get stonework is you spray acetone or spray paint on onto styrofoam and it eats it away and it gives it that craggy look and, and is really cool. But it also uh, creates cyanide gas when it burns. So generally you don't want to use that without it being treated, but he didn't notice. So, so he leaves 20 minutes later 
the grips had put one of the 10Ks, which is the really, really big hot lights, up against the ceiling, Ugh. and the stage caught fire, and it was all asbestos. Oh, so hey. right after he left, we all get covered with, with burning asbestos. We put it out. I mean, it was no big deal <laughs> until we realized what we were inhaling. Oh, boy. Um, so, and then there was another thing because it was a low budget and, and Roger wasn't directing this one. That, uh, I can't remember the director's name. It wasn't very good. But <laughs> while we were shooting, he kept taking these, these girls, these slave girls you know, of, the, of the title who were wearing these chamois bikinis. He kept cutting them shorter and shorter. Well, the problem is you don't shoot in order. So as you're watching the movie, the bikinis come bigger, smaller, smaller, medium, bigger, smaller. <laughs> all over the place because he kept cutting as we were shooting more. So That's it was amazing. ridiculous, but it's a fun movie. It is a fun movie. <laughs> I, have to, I have to admit, hey, sorry, guilty pleasure, guilty as charged. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we should touch on Disney, though. I mean, how, you, you've worked on a lot of Disney productions throughout the years. Uh, so many things, because especially because I was in Orlando. I mean, yeah. I've done over 400 Disney commercials. I produced the... Uh, um, the Tinkerbell animation that launched the Disney Cruise Line, uh, multiple movies for Disney. I, I designed the headboard for the um, for the Disney Contemporary Hotel. Um, you know, it, it's a, just a, I, in fact, I even designed one. I, I ended up working for a long time or for a while over at Disney Business Productions, which they were creating corporate events. And so I designed a lot of big corporate events like uh, for Yamaha, um, Disney produced it. And, and we did that at the MGM Grand in Vegas. And so I wanted to create, and I pitched this to Yamaha and sold it to them. So then I designed the whole thing. I, they, we were showcasing their water vehicles, like their jet skis and their, uh, their four buys. So I said, well, why don't we actually present them on water? So I designed a complete lagoon. So I flooded the main ballroom at the MGM Grand, and, <laughs> and I had to work with their, uh, their structural engineers to make sure that it would support what I needed to do. So I designed it to only be so deep at certain areas yeah. so it would fit, you know, nothing would collapse. And so when all these execs are sitting in this ballroom, there's a waterway down the middle, and I brought the, uh, the jet skis with their 15-foot rooster tails right through the middle of the ballroom, beached it up on a fake <laughs> island, and, and there was a cave at the, at the back of the island, and I had it where the mountain rose up above, and then the face of the mountain blows off towards the audience, revealing a glowing Yamaha logo behind it. It was spectacular. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, and, and by the way, the commercials you did for Disney, they were all done through uh, Yellow Shoes, which is the, yep. the in-house. Uh, Disney has their own in-house uh, ad, ad agency, agency essentially, mm -hmm. uh, that's based out of, uh, they're based out of Florida now, I guess. Well, or... they were out of Florida and until the head of, the, of, of Yellow Shoes left. And this is a long, long, long time ago. And then they and, moved it to Los LA Angeles. Yeah. They ended up moving off yeah. creative, head creative to LA. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember uh, dealing with some of the folks at uh, Yellow Shoes in Los Angeles. So, well, yeah, this it was is really great when it was going. In fact, it was funny. For so many years, I would get a call on a Friday afternoon to go meet with the creative directors at Yellow Shoes. And I would have to storyboard four commercials for delivery Monday morning. And it was every other Friday. <laughs> 
Mm. And then they would pick one of those and then it would go off to different commercial houses. And, and there was just a couple of them that did almost all of their commercials. Those commercial houses would then hire me to, to storyboard the director's version of it. So every commercial that came out, I drew, I don't know how many versions of it. So it was, you know, that alone kept me afloat, much less all the other shows I was working on. But yeah, that was just, and it was all OT every Sunday. It was all OT because they needed a quick <laughs> turnaround. So I charged them extra for it. It's, it's it the gift great. that keeps on giving. Absolutely. Yeah. We love Disney. Well, Mark, I have to say, this is this has been a fantastic hour. I uh, really enjoyed talking with you about storyboarding and especially about The Walking Dead. I've been a fan of uh, zombies uh, and zombie films for a very long time. Uh, and, uh, really, uh, would love to have you back on, especially, you know, after you get your, your gig directing, uh, one of those shows, uh, we'd love to talk to you about your experience directing. I'll, I'll definitely let you know. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Great. No, I'd love to come back guys. I can't believe it's been an hour already. This has been fun. Oh, it's been more than an hour. We're, we're, we're approaching an hour and 15. Nice. There you go. (laughs) We didn't even talk about voiceover. You'll have to talk about that too. So (laughs) Mark, thank you so much for being on the skull rock podcast. Guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Podcast. To infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney Galaxy. Whoa! Oh, wow, you flew magnificently. Wow, what a fun guy, that guy. Mark yeah, no, Mark Simon's terrific. And I, I just, I mean, so prolific in the storyboarding. I mean, holy mackerel. And I actually am looking forward to seeing him uh, direct. Hopefully he's going to direct some uh, Walking Dead or or one of the spinoffs. You know? That would be great. I mean, you know, I, I hope that he's able to or work with the... Uh, you know, work with those guys and, and, and come up with something that he really, really likes. I, I, I think he's got it in him to do it. And, uh, he definitely knows, he knows the ins and outs of everything. And we didn't even hardly scratch the surface of the Disney stuff he did. I mean, no, we'll I know, to get I into know. That. but you point. know something, it was kind of cool talking to him about all of the, uh, walking dead stuff and you know, how he approaches storyboarding. Oh, exactly. And I'd love to uh, talk to him again at some point and talk about stranger things. Uh, Dave, have you caught up with stranger things? No, I have not. I have not uh, gotten uh, onto that, but okay. I will do it in the next few weeks. Yeah, you, you got to. Absolutely. And something that our audience should get into is leaving us those reviews. We love those reviews and we love it when you send us those emails as well. You can hit us up, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com or Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. We're getting on so many different podcast platforms, not only on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com, our syndication partner, but we also have, uh, we're getting ready to be launched on Stitcher Radio, hopefully within the next week or so. So uh, it should be really cool. And Stitcher Radio is a great platform to be on. And, uh, and we've got so many other platforms you can check us out, but definitely leave us those reviews. Um, and thank you so much for the listener shout outs as well. Those supports uh, that, that you can do over there at anchor.fm. Uh, Dave, anything else for you? Well, as always, Al John, peace and love to everybody. Go out and have a fantastic week. 
the holiday season is officially off to the races. And uh, just uh, take your time, slow down. People are always rushing around, but just, you know, absorb and, uh, you know, sit and immerse yourself in the holiday season and the spirit of it all. And we will see you right back here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com i'm kristen hetzel vacation planner world traveler disney foodie and theme park fan I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.